we're actually talking over this weekend about being women that are that God has appointed to be on this planet for such a time as this. And that God wants us to be women. Number one, last night we saw, he wants us to be women who, who can get breakthrough. Women who are not just running with the enemies running off with and our lives are a mess. God intends us by the power of his Holy Spirit to get breakthrough in our lives. And I don't know if you've been doing the wee sheets that you get afterwards, but if you could take a bit of time even after this weekend to go through those and just really be honest before God. So as well as that, as well as that, if we're going to be the woman that God has called us to be, we're going to need boundaries. And we've talked about how the enemy tries to bring boundaries to confine us. Uh, but God means boundaries to bless us. God means boundaries that in, in due time he can extend as he, as he sees us growing. And he wants us to enlarge where we are because he has so much. And really it's up to us. You know, if we keep obeying him and listening to him, he can keep extending them. And we can end up, and the more he extends your borders, the happier and the more at peace you are. And we saw that, that Rahab ended up marrying a man whose name actually means peace, Salman. And so she had a husband whose name made, meant peace, and she was given peace because she came to know, know God. And so that's what he intends for us. But another sense of boundaries is, I want to read this quote to you because I have a sense that there's some of you who don't know how to have healthy boundaries in terms of letting, you know, how the enemy uses other people and situations mm -hmm. as well. And I wanted to read this to you. It is neither emotionally healthy nor moral to live without boundaries. When we do that, we push ourselves too hard and exhaust ourselves. We allow wrong behaviour to continue and we enable people to act selfishly by becoming a cover for their actions. When people join Al-Anon, you know that organisation for Alcoholics Anonymous, one of the first things that they are told is, you can only change yourself and you must not take the responsibility for changing another person, no matter how close they are. But rather, you need to let them reap the consequences of their actions or they won't have the impulse or the impetus to change. Al-Anon gets it. And this writer of this, it was an anonymous thing, said Al-Anon started off with a Christian founder. They get it. Because why is it that Christians think that being a pushover with wrong behaviour is Christ-like? Because it isn't. And so God wants us to know how to use those godly boundaries. Because people will try to push in and try to overstep. And the enemy will use that. So I just really felt it was important to do that. The other thing just as well that I wanted to say before this session was that um, in terms of God speaking, when God repeats something, he, he means it for good. Now, I had that recurring dream that I shared with you. It's been I've had that dream. For, I couldn't count the times I've had that same dream. And it was only just a few weeks ago that I realised what God was saying to me. And it was Glenda who sent this to me because I shared it with her. Here's what she says. Pay attention to repetition. God is releasing repetitive confirmations, themes, symbols, dreams and visions right now to encourage the people of God that the breakthrough and victory is upon them. The repetition of these themes, symbols, dreams and visions, etc. that he is speaking through is, is decreeing the reign of breakthrough over you. The Lord is also highlighting through, the, through his repetition that repetitive cycles that have produced anything but the life that Jesus paid for you are being broken. That's the wrong repetitive stuff. 
And they're, they're, God wants to give you new repetitive cycles of life, heavenly alignment, breakthrough and freedom are for you, are right upon you at this time. I think that's a really important thing because there's some of us that we've heard the same stuff but we've never actually implemented in our lives. We've never actually said, by faith I'm going to trust God that you can do that for my life. Glenda's going to uh, play for us King of Kings, number one in our song sheet, and then we'll start this session. So uh, just settle yourself and we're going to sing this song.
from breakthrough and godly boundaries, we're going through now to uh, God brought destiny to our first lady, to Tamar, through her breakthrough. He brought destiny to Rahab, the harlot, who became the hero. He brought destiny to her. She had a son called Boaz and married a man called Peace. And God brought her into his family, into his, his earthly family. And now we're going to look at our third lady. She's called Ruth. Uh, we read her story in the little book of Ruth. I'm aware that um, a lot of people will know this story, but I'm also aware that some people mightn't. So the Lord will need to help me to get through this story because there's a lot of twists and turns and we've got a very limited time. So I'll have to try and give a few broad strokes here and there that you will be able to follow. Um, and really, this is about destiny out of, you know, out of, um, out of a, place where, a place of mourning. And where, whereas the other two got breakthrough and, and boundaries, godly boundaries with God's people, Ruth got beauty out of ashes because she went through this deep, deep mourning and because she made some right choices in her life. So I'm going to read um, a few uh, verses just to sort of give uh, the people who maybe don't know the story so well, give you a background. Let's read from Ruth chapter 1. Uh, it says, In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech and his wife was Naomi, and their two sons, Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrodites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Remember Judah from our first story? Judah's name means praise. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons had married Moabite women. Uh, they married Moabite women. One married a woman called Orpha, and the other a uh, woman called Ruth. But about ten years later, both Malon and Kilion died. And this left Naomi alone with her two sons, without her two sons or her husband. So get the picture. Naomi, whose name means sweetness, means beauty, pleasure, delight, um, even joy. This woman, had her husband had made a decision to leave God's place, Bethlehem, which is where God's people were, and go down into a place called Moab. Moab was a place where they practiced child sacrifice. They worshipped the pagan god called uh, Shamos, and they lived amongst these pagan people because her husband had made a decision to take his family out of God's, away from God's <laughs> people. And down in Moab, we see that Naomi suffers a, a great deal of loss. She loses her husband, and then she loses both sons. So can you imagine the impact of this and the mourning and the pain that Naomi would have felt? And so Naomi is going to need to grieve. And it seems that she did just that. And it says in verse 6, we don't know how much later this was, it says, Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would have led them back to, to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me, and may the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. 
Then she kissed them goodbye and they all broke down and wept. I want to give you the picture. One day, it seems, Naomi heard news that God was blessing back in her hometown and she made a decision. She made a decision that she was going to get up and she was going to, she was going to go back to where she came, to, came, came from. She was going to go back to where she belonged. You know, I believe that at a time of mourning, that it's good not to make any decisions whenever we're hit with a great loss. I think everybody would give that advice. Don't make any major decisions. But you know, when you're going through healthy mourning with God, there comes a time where God says, your mourning needs to, you need to move on now. There comes a time to arise and to move on. And it seems that something happened to Naomi. I've no doubt that God was prompting her that she was going to get up and she was going to move back. She was going to make a move. And, and can you get the picture? She and these two daughter-in-laws are now heading out the Bethlehem Road and they have a long journey back. I read somewhere it was about 60 miles. Well, 60 miles is not much when you're driving a car, but when you're walking, it's quite a distance. So they're going to make this long journey back on foot. And can you see them standing now outside of, of where they were living? On the road to Bethlehem, and uh, and Naomi says to these two girls, "I'm going to release you, girls. I want you to go back home. You okay? I want you to go back home. I want you to go back to your to the, your your family homes. Go back to your your mom and your dad. Don't expect to come with me. I don't expect you to come with me." Naomi was saying. She says, go back to your mother's homes. But the girl said, verse 16, No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? Remember what we talked about last night, how the custom was that, that the, next, uh, the next in kin, the next, the next kinsman, the next man in the family would come and marry the daughter that was left without a husband and then that child would be reared up for him and Naomi saying look I can't have any more children I, there's no way that any of my, our family can help you now you'll have to go back to your own families can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands no my daughters return to your parents home for I'm too old to marry again and even if it were possible and I were to get married tonight and bear sons then what would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. So I want you to get this picture that Naomi is saying to her daughters-in-law, I am releasing you. I have no family members who can, raise, who can come and marry you and rescue you girls. I'm releasing you. Go back home. And she's saying to them, she's giving them a glimpse into her heart and she's saying, you know, I have lost so much. I've lost my husband, but I've also lost my sons. And Naomi has believed a lie. She's believed that God's fist is against her. How often in life when we go through crises and we bear loss, do we imagine and listen to the lie of the enemy that God is against us? God is not against us. He is never against us. He is always for us. And so we see that, that it says in verse 14, and they wept together. And Orpha one of her daughters-in-law said goodbye and returned to Moab. But, it says, Ruth, verse, verse 16, but Ruth replied to Naomi, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. 
wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate you and me. That's some covenant, isn't it? That's some speak. And so Ruth has decided that she's going to go. And I guess that Ruth had glimpsed something of God, the God of Israel, in her mother-in-law. Even though Naomi thought that God was against her. Ruth had glimpsed something of the God of Israel in her mother-in-law. Even though Naomi considered herself to be bitter because she believed the lie that God's fist was against her. Ruth had got a glimpse that Naomi knew a God that she didn't know. And Ruth had made up a decision that she was going to arise and go with her mother-in-law. I believe that's the same decision that we have to make this weekend. And I know from speaking to you and from knowing many of you, I know that many of you have lost. I know you've lost husbands. I know you've had abuse in the past. I know there's a history of stuff that, that the enemy would want to keep you back and stop you from moving forward. But I want to read this to you. Beth Moore, I read this quote from Beth Moore. You cannot amputate your history from the fulfillment of your destiny. When I am in Christ, my past is something that he takes hold of and makes it into a destiny. That's called redemption. Now there's a lot of people, and I'm guessing even some in this room, who feel that because of your past, that you'll never be able to make it. That because of the bad things that have happened, that you're never going to be able to actually get that breakthrough. That you're not going to be able to have those godly boundaries. That you're not going to be able to move on with God. But listen, you can't amputate your past, your history, because God wants it to be part of your future. And God's still the God who works all things together for good. He's still the God who can turn things around and actually even use the bad things to bring about the plans that he's always had for your life. And so this girl, Ruth, she is probably still grieving herself. And so is Naomi, mother and daughter-in-law. And they're heading back to uh, God's country, back to Bethlehem. I also read this quote. I'm not sure who it was where I read this, but I wrote it down anyway. I am better off healed than I ever was unbroken. That's a good one, isn't it? We didn't get to choose our DNA, our body type, our birthday, the time slot in history that we're living in, or many of our circumstances. We didn't get to choose those things. But make no mistake, we do get to choose what kind of woman we're going to be. That's the choice for this weekend. God wants you to choose. What kind of a woman do you want to be? Are you going to allow God to take the past with all the hurt and all the abuse and all the loss? Are you going to trust him and are you going to be like Ruth? You're going to say, you know what, I'm going forward. And I love this story because it's about girls together. Amen. It's about how we as women can help each other. Listen, we need to help each other. That, that, story, that story last night about the breakthrough, Tamar needed those midwives. She needed them to get round her and help her to bring forth the breakthrough in her life. And we do need each other. It's girls together. And we need to make sure that we, that, we, that we help each other and that we move forward together. And so the story is that they go back to Bethlehem. And when they get to Bethlehem, all of the women in Bethlehem are coming up and saying, Naomi, is this Naomi? And it seems to me from reading the story 
that the grief and the pain on Naomi's face have changed her. That's what it seems to me. It doesn't tell me that exactly. But I guess that these women were, surely that couldn't be Naomi, the lovely, bright, pleasant woman full of joy who left us here. Look at her. She's so changed because she was changed in a wrong sense. I believe that her face showed the pain and the grief that she, that she was still coming through. And yet they had no idea as to uh, what... Uh, and, and they called her Naomi, and, and in the story, we haven't time to read it all, but in the story, Naomi said to these women in Bethlehem, her hometown, she said, don't call me Naomi. Mm-hmm. Naomi means pleasant and sweet and beautiful. Don't call me that. She says, call me Mara. Mara means bitter. She felt she was a bitter woman because she was believing the lie that God was against her. I'm, I wonder how many of you in here today, from time to time, that that thought comes, God's against me. How many of you are thinking that at times? I tell you, I think there's more of us thinking than what we would actually confess to. But God's not against you. He's never been against you. He gave a son because he loves you. And he's always for you. Mm-hmm. Romans 8 says that God is for you and not against you. And if he's for you, it doesn't matter who else is against you because he's the one who can take you through any situation. And so uh, Naomi says, don't call me that. But you know, she didn't realise it. She thought she was barren. She had lost her son. She thought she was a bitter woman who had no future. But do you know, she didn't know at that particular moment that God was actually going to make her, at that moment, God was making her into a spiritual mother for Ruth. Mm-hmm. You see, when you think that there's no future and God, everything's gone, God's still got something up his sleeve. And do you know what I love about this? The times that we feel that we're so lost and so far away from everything, usually God, whenever he's bringing us back to himself, he usually brings somebody else with us. Did you ever notice that? In your brokenness, so often God leads you to somebody else that's broken. And God just loves to do the double. And here he's bringing not only Naomi back, but he's bringing Ruth back. And so they're, they're heading, they've landed back in the, in the, um, in the, uh, into the into the place of into the home uh, hometown of Bethlehem, I think it's very interesting that Naomi spoke out and said, "The hand of the Lord is against me; His fist is against me." Because you know what, <laughs> she was speaking a lie, but you know what, she was speaking what she felt. She was speaking it out, and you see, half the time we feel like that, but we don't actually voice it, and because we don't voice it, the enemy can play havoc. In her lives and that's why I actually think that she was that it was I believe the Lord allowed her and wanted her to speak it out God wants you to speak out all your fears he wants you to get it out there that's why we have prayer ministry because you bring it into the light and when she spoke this out she you know she was bringing her secret fear that God's fist was against her and she was speaking it out and 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 you know sometimes we hold those secret fears and listen I wrote this down so I wouldn't forget it Hidden fear can cripple us so that we are ineffective for God. There's no fear in love. When we know how much God loves us, we we aren't going to be women who are fearful. God wants us set free. God has not given you a spirit of fear. I I thought it was interesting that C.S. Lewis, uh, I don't know where I wrote this somewhere, but he he says that, uh, yeah, here it is here. Here's what he said, because remember he suffered a lot of bereavement. He said, no one ever told me that grief felt so like fear. No one ever told me that grief felt so like fear. When we lose somebody who's very, very dear to us, it can bring up a lot of fears about the future and it can bring up a lot of fears that we can't cope and all of those. And you know what? God wants to set us free. 
from those secret fears and the best thing we can do is to voice them out is actually to do what Naomi did and speak it out and you see Satan wants to keep us in that place of bitterness Naomi had made the choice to go back but she still was feeling bitter and God wanted to heal her from that bitterness and and you see a lot of us experience fear and bitterness and disappointment and pain and grief and all those negative things that the enemy just loves to burden us down with but you see Naomi had made she, she, she didn't even realise it, but God had used the, the whole grief thing to get her up and motivated to go back. And very often it's in the middle of your crisis and the middle of your fear and your grieving that God is actually working to get you where he wants you. Did you ever notice that? Do you know something? I don't believe that if I hadn't, if, if I had married and everything had gone hunky-dory, I don't believe that I would be doing what I'm doing. I, and I really mean that. If I hadn't come through that grief, I wouldn't know what I know now. And I wouldn't be able to speak to you because I would have nothing to share with you. It's coming through the grief and coming through the loss and the pain that God actually equips you to do what he has planned, the unique and individual thing that he has planned for your life to bring it to pass. And so uh, they come to Bethlehem and we're getting... This is another romantic one, girls. I love this. God of romance, I'm telling you. And so they get... I'll, I'll get my other Bible here because I know the story so well in this Bible. I'll be able to read out the, the bits that are relevant um, to you as we go through this. Because I'll tell you what, God wants to heal some hearts, bring some comfort and bring change to every single one of us this weekend. We've talked a lot about change. Do you think, do you think that Tamar was comforted when she saw those two babies in her arms? And Judah took her into his household and became the, 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 the father figure that he, that, he, that he should have been from the beginning. Do you think that Rahab was comforted when Solomon walked up, the man of peace, and married her and brought her into the Israel camp and she became a mother? We're going to see that God's going to comfort Ruth and he wants to comfort you. And he doesn't want you to be in that place of desolation and that place of horrible grief, listening to the lies of the enemy that God is against you. God is not against you. And so they get to Bethlehem and it tells us in chapter, chapter 1, verse uh, 22, that they returned and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Oh dear, you get into the whole thing about the harvest and all the rest of it. But anyway... Uh, <laughs> there's always a harvest God has always a harvest out of our lives and out of our brokenness and so they get to chapter 2 and uh, you can imagine these two women they've walked the whole distance not easy for, for two women probably carrying on their back whatever belongings they have they've come through a lot of sort of barren ground you can, coming from Moab would be just coming up to the Dead Sea there over like mountainous reasons and whatever they've finally made it to Bethlehem and they've kind of got themselves settled somewhere I don't know where they were living but they got themselves settled somewhere and uh, after a wee while they realised that, that they're going to need somewhere to live. And so Ruth says, uh, let me just read it to you. Ruth the Moabite uh, said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after whoever I can find favour in. I need to tell you this, that in Israel even today, well way back then the law of God said that you couldn't if anyone, a farmer owned land, the law of God said that they weren't allowed to harvest the corners of the fields. They were to leave that for the poor people. That was God's social system. So that we, you know, they didn't have, they couldn't go up to the brew <laughs> back then. <laughs> God was way ahead of social services. 
Ruth realizes that this is the law, and she realizes that if she if she can go and find a field somewhere, that she can she can actually get some grain and bring it, and they can eat. And so it tells us that uh, Naomi told her to go. She said, "Go, my daughter." And uh, then she left and went and gleaned, verse 3 of chapter 2. Then she went and, and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened, inverted <laughs> commas, she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Look over there, girls. <laughs> Boaz. Now, it says he was of the family of Elimelech. So he was part of her family tree, right? Remember how the, a member from the family tree were meant to come and marry and, and raise a seed and bring forth an heir for the dead, the dead husband? Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Can you just imagine this? This is some boss to work for. <laughs> he arrives into the, and the first thing he says to the reapers is, The Lord bless you. The Lord be with you. And they're repeating it back. This is a man who had a good relationship with his workers. Would you agree? Yeah. And, uh, and so it says, the servant that was in charge of the reapers answered. And, uh, so Boaz said to the servants, verse 5, who, uh, who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? Now I'll tell you, this boy had his eye. <laughs> he spotted her. He spotted her. Now you need to know, and we'll find it out as we go a bit further, that Boaz was a lot older. I personally believe <laughs> that God had kept this man single for Ruth he was a lot older and he was an honourable man well thought of in the community and a man who loved God and his mother way back we don't know how many there were in between he came from the line of Rahab that's where he came from and he's a man and he's a man of substance he owns these fields he's a wealthy man, very wealthy man, but he's an older man. And so she's, she's uh, in the field and he's asking, who's that girl? <laughs> and, uh, and it says that um, the servant said, it's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And Ruth said, this is the servant still saying, he, she asked me, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Then Boaz, makes a beeline to Ruth, then Boaz, <laughs> the Lord puts attraction, girls. <laughs> then Boaz said to Ruth, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? Don't go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young woman. There have been lots of other gleaners in there. And basically what he's saying to her is, don't be going away from this field. You're going to be safe here. Follow after the women that are working in this field. And he said to her, let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So Ruth fell on her face, bowed down to the ground and said to Boaz, Why have I found favour in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? She was in a country where she was a foreigner. She felt it. She knew she was different. She came from Moab, where there was much more dark-skinned. She knew that she was a stranger and a, and, and, and a sort of a, a foreigner. And I'm sure that the people, the Israelites, would have looked at her again. And she knew that she was different. And she's saying, 
Why would you take notice and give me favour? And verse 11, Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. And Boaz said to her, The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to trust. Boaz recognised in her that she had come to trust the Lord God of Israel. I want to tell you girls that that is a safe place to be. That's a safe place to be under the wings of God. Psalm 36 says, How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore the children of men put their, tr- put their, f- their trust under the shadow of of your wings. Psalm 61, 3 and 4 says, You have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. You see, she had found a spiritual covering. She had realised that even though she was an outcast in a strange country, that God could cover her with his wings. And that's what he wants to do for you and me. He wants to cover us. I love Psalm 91 as well, where it talks about um, coming under the shadow of the Almighty. Let me just read it to you because it's one of my favourite Psalms. And you know, I just want to read it. It says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That word Almighty is the name for God, El Shaddai. El Shaddai is the the name for the mother heart of God. Do you know that God is your father, but he's also your mother? Do you know that he wants to hold you and and love you like a mother? I often say that one of my strongest memories of of my own mother who was killed in a car accident, one of the strongest memories I have of her is her holding me. Being held is important, girls. Hold your children, hold each other, because sometimes we just need a hug. We just need to know that somebody cares. There's something about putting your arms around someone. And I remember that as a child. It's the strongest memory that I have of my mother knowing I was loved. And you see, that's what God wants to do with you. He wants to hold you. He wants you to know that you're safe in his arms, that he's not against you, that he's for you. He wants you to know that he wants to empower you to get your breakthrough. He wants you to know that he wants, he loves you so much that he wants to tear down those walls that the enemy has put up that would restrict you and inhibit you and, 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 and bring you into a place where, where you're unhappy and hurt and miserable and bitter. And he wants to break those walls and he wants to put up his godly hedge around you, his godly, his godly boundary where he will bless you. And that's the God that we belong to. And so Ruth, somehow Boaz can see in this woman that she has come to trust in this God, that she's already covered by this God. And of course, it says, it was on to tell her at mealtime that, uh, that whenever she, they were having, eat and having something to eat and, and, uh, and, and the reapers were all there. And uh, it tells us in verse, I'm, I tell you, I, have to, I can't go past this, but uh, chapter 2, where at mealtime Boaz, Boaz said to Ruth at mealtime, come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and 
he, that's Boaz, passed parched grain to her and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. He gave her a doggy bag <laughs> to bring it back to the mother. Naomi was going to get... He was sending her, he gave her so much that she couldn't eat it all, she was going to bring it back to the mother-in-law. And when she got back to the mother-in-law, old Naomi's eyes began to light up. Why? Let me read it to you. She took all that, actually not only did he give her extra, but but he, he, he gave her more as well. He gave her a whole lot of barley to take home. She took it up. Went into the city and her mother-in-law saw what she'd gleaned. <laughs> so she brought, so she, she brought it out. She brought it out and gave it to Naomi, what she had kept back. And after, and after she had been, after she'd been satisfied. Sorry, I can hardly read this. And her mother-in-law said to Ruth, "Where have you gleaned today? And where did you work? Blessed is the one who took notice of you." So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said. The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relative of ours, one of our close relatives. Can you imagine old Naomi and she's so bitter and she thinks God's against her. I can just see when she sees the food coming. And she sees what was left over and then this other big bag of stuff. Can't you just see her eyes beginning to click? Whose field were you in? And when she hears this Boaz, light dawns in her soul that God's working all things together for good. And so I see this as the changing point. You know, ladies, I believe that, that we, need to be, we need to be looking around us because I think very often God has given us blessings. And we're so much locked into the fact that God's against us that we aren't even looking to see. There's blessings there. There are blessings there. Naomi thought that God was against her. She never thought to think that he had given her a wonderful daughter-in-law. And you know, there are blessings in our lives that God has given to us. And we need to be thankful because he wants to give us so much more. And so it says that, in fact, I missed a very interesting wee bit uh, because how could I have, um, where I, how could I have missed this? Uh, Boaz actually, t- I didn't find it, I'll tell you. Boaz actually told his reapers, tell you what you do, drop handfuls on purpose. So instead of just letting her go to the corners and they were reaping up the harvest, they were dropping bits here and there deliberately for Ruth to get. Do you know when you're going through your hard time and you think God's against you, that God deliberately drops things into your life? Blessings, handfuls of blessings. And he wants you to just gather them up. And so she worked there. Naomi said to her, uh, 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 Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it's good, my daughter, that you go out with with his young woman and that the people do not meet you in any other field. So Ruth stayed close by the young woman of of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. Now, I need to get on with this story because this story is something else, girl. Oh, Lord, help us to get this across. <laughs> Chapter 3. Naomi, I believe at that moment when Ruth brought back that extra grain and, and Naomi began to, old mind began to click over, God's working. Provision. Do you know that out of your, out of your desolate place, 
one of the things that God wants to show you is that he can provide for you. He wants you to know that he can meet your every need. And so when Naomi saw what God was doing and realized the field that he had brought Ruth to and that Boaz had shown her kindness and shown her favor, I believe the seed had dropped, the thought had dropped into Naomi that God was at work and that maybe he was going to use this man Boaz to bless their family. And so in chapter 3, Naomi said, said to Ruth, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? I believe in some of the other translations it says rest and security. I believe there's many of you here today and you've come, I've heard, I've heard people saying this, you've come for a rest. And, and not just a physical rest, but I believe to enter into a spiritual rest. A place where you're not going to be tormented. I believe there's a lot of you and the, the thoughts that go round in your head and the fears and the anxieties and the troubles and the circumstances and, and all that negative thinking. I believe that, that God wants to set you free from that. I believe that God wants to give you a place of rest. Jesus said, come on to me and I will give you rest and you shall find, you shall find rest for your souls. What is your soul? Your soul is your, it's your mind, it's your emotion, and it's what so mind, your soul is your body, your mind, and your emotions. What we think and what we feel in our physical body, that is our soul, that's who we are, the core of who we are. God wants you to find rest, and that's emotional rest, as well as physical rest. It's, it's rest in your thought patterns. God wants to change your thought patterns. You can just rest and know you're secure in him. That you don't have to have all this torment going on. He wants to set you free. And so uh, Naomi is wanting to get Ruth rest and security. And then he says to, uh, to, to Ruth, Now Boaz, whose young woman you are with, is he not our relative? In fact, he's winnowing, winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, she said to Ruth, wash yourself and anoint yourself, put on your best garments and go to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. And then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what you should do. So basically what this old schemer, Naomi, what she's doing is, she is saying, tell you what, this is the way we do it in this country. <laughs> Ruth is a wonderful picture of the bride of Christ who comes to the feet of Jesus. Because the idea of the kinsman redeemer was, and, and really this, the way that they worked at them was a picture of what Jesus was going to do. You see, when the first husband died and the wife was left a widow, the next in line, the kinsman, as they called them, they were supposed to come and release and support and marry and give another child to that wife. And that first child then would belong to the first husband. So the wife would have had, the first husband died, and then the next husband would come along who would, who would you know, come and be a covering to her and, and take care of her and set her free from poverty and all of that. So that was the kinsman redeemer's job. Now, the, the parallel with this spiritually is that Adam was the first man who ever lived. And Adam let us all down. Adam made the wrong choice and brought sin into the world. So he was, if you like, the, the first husband to humanity. But he failed. But G the Bible talks about Jesus being the second Adam. He's the one who came to be our redeemer. He's the one who came to be our kinsman redeemer to set us free from all the trouble of sin and all the pain of sin and to be a husband to us, 
that we could bring forth fruit, that we would that we would glorify him and that we would be set free from all of the stuff that comes with sin and with pain. So Adam was the like the dead husband, but Jesus Christ is a is the kinsman redeemer. So Naomi was saying, You get to the threshing floor. Get yourself dolled up there. Can you just go and see her getting herself... Sh- well, they wouldn't have had a shower, but she probably went down to the river or something. <laughs> washed herself. You see her giving herself a good dab and all under the arms and everything. And, and get whatever whatever she had, rub whatever oil she had into her skin. And, and, and she's getting, putting a bit of lippy on if she had it or whatever. And she's getting herself dolled up and she's heading up. Now the threshing floor at the end of barley harvest, all the men stayed with the, with the harvest because they knew that it would be liable for people to come and steal it. So uh, they would have slept there all night at the end of barley harvest. So Naomi said, go, don't let anybody see you now. But go and hide yourself so I can see Ruth you know, hiding in behind somewhere. And once the men have had a good meal after their heavy day's work and they've settled themselves, they're all getting a bit sleepy and they, they go to... And she's watching where Boaz has gone to. And she marks where he is. And whenever all the men are sleeping, Ruth comes out and she's slipping over to get to the feet of Boaz. And she pulls back whatever he had over him, recovering. <laughs> and she gets herself down. Can you just picture it? She just gets herself down at his feet and she covers herself. Let me just read to you what happened. <laughs> so she did, so, so it says, Ruth went to the threshing floor, did all that Naomi, her mother-in-law, had instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten, etc., she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself, turned himself, and there was a woman lying at his feet. <laughs> and he said, can you just see him whispering, who are you? <laughs> so she answered, I'm Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you're a close relative. One of the translations says, cover me. Mm-hmm. Now, that was a term for marry me. That was the way they spoke in that culture. To be covered was to be married. And in fact, in that particular time in history, a woman who was a widow was considered by community to be like dumb. She didn't have a voice of her own. She was a woman at that time in history who had been very, very vulnerable. They were actually considered to be dumb. They had no voice. And when they got a husband, the husband was their covering and he would speak and take care of them. He would be their protector and all the rest of it. And so basically Ruth is saying, will you marry me? That's what she's actually saying. Will you cover me? And so then he said, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request. For all my people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now, it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. And he had the the first preference. We'll get to that in a minute. So this is like... Is it like the way we come to Jesus and we say, well, I want you to forgive us, please, please forgive my sin. I know you died for me. Please be my kinsman, redeemer, redeemer. Cover my sin. Cover me with your loving kindness. And take, up, take me up. Let me, be, let me be your wife. Let me be your bride. That's what, we, that's what happens at the moment of salvation. And so he's saying to her, I will do all for you that you request. I believe God wants to say that to you today. He wants to do all for you that you request. He wants, he wants you to tell him your need. 
because he wants to fill your need. And then, and then he says, everybody knows you're a virtuous woman. I need to tell you that word virtuous. Do you know what it really means? It means a woman who could actually amass an army. It's a woman that God has made strong. It's a woman with dignity. It's a woman who's a valiant woman who could be in an army. That's the kind of woman that he saw in Ruth. And I want to tell you that no matter how weak you feel this weekend, no matter in what a bad place you might feel you are, that God sees you as a virtuous woman. If you've trusted Jesus as your saviour, if you've asked him to wash you from your sin and asked him to come in by the Holy Spirit, and I believe every one of you have done that, you are in God's eyes a virtuous woman. You are clean. You belong to God. You are marked by the, by the blood of Jesus. You are redeemed. You are bought. You're redeemed and you belong to God. And you're, you're one and he wants you to rise up to be who he made you to be, part of his army. He, he wants you to know who you are. And so basically he, he says, I will, pre- I will pre- perform the duty of a close relative for you, but I'll have to check it out basically with this. So he gives her a big pile of stuff, grain again, off she goes and tells Naomi, oh, this is what he said to me. And Naomi said, okay, we've got to sit still. Got to wait. And so in chapter 4, Boaz goes to the gate of the city in Bethlehem, the gates where they did all the business. In those days, if a, if a man was going to be the kinsman redeemer, then he would, be, he, would, he would speak it out at the gate. And the business, it was like a business transaction. And so Boaz, I'm sure he prayed to God before he went, he gets to the gate, let me read it to you, now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, come aside friend and sit down. So he came aside and sat down and he took 10 men of the elders of the city and they said, sit down here. So they sat down. So they all sat down at the gate to do a bit of official business. And Boaz is very smart because Boaz starts off by telling this other man who, who was a closer relative, who had first rights, not only to marry Ruth, but also to the land that would have been Ruth's husband's. You see, I need to just go back here, and I know our time's going fast, but I need to just go back here. Whenever Naomi's husband left Bethlehem, he, he probably had mortgaged his land. They were in a time of famine. And in that time, you weren't allowed to sell your land. You could only mortgage it. And then after 50 years, there was a thing called the Jubilee year and all the land, you got it back again. But he must have mortgaged his land, got the money and gone off. So the land was still mortgaged and Naomi had no access to that land. The job of the kinsman redeemer was not only to marry Ruth, but it was to buy back the land, right? So this other relative that was closer than Boaz, he had first rights to um to say I'm going to I want to I want to um buy back the land. He had he had the first rights in front of, of Boaz. So Boaz is very clever. He doesn't mention Ruth at all. He says, well um he brings him up and he says to this near relative, uh, well now there's you, you probably heard that um Naomi uh, from Bethlehem has brought back Ruth and uh, you've probably heard that the land now needs to be paid back. The kinsman redeemer needs to pay the outstanding amount on this mortgage to get the land back. And uh, and so this near relative, he jumps up and he says, yes, I'll do it. I'm sure Ruth's heart sunk. <coughs> and then Boaz, being the wise man and the older man with a bit of wisdom, he says, just one wee thing. Whoever buys back the land has to also marry Ruth, the Moabites. And of course, immediately this other guy knew that that meant that the first child that he had would not actually be 
he wouldn't he wouldn't actually get the land. The land would go to the first child that they had, and actually the inheritance would he would lose out because his first child they had it would all be theirs, and he knew that that would would get him into trouble. Then it would it would damage his his own property. Plus. It probably had a wife as well, and the wife wouldn't have been too pleased bringing another woman in. So here's what he says. <laughs> then Boaz said, On the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabite, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was a confirmation in Israel. Then the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal. When the close relative took the sandal off, he was saying in effect, I can't do this. I can't walk down this road. And he gave the sandal as a, an act in front of all the elders. This was a legal <coughs> binding agreement. And that meant that Boaz was free to not only buy back the land, but marry Ruth. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Can't you just see it? Now, I want to get to this bit about Ruth. Um, and all the people who were at the gate, chapter 4, verse 11. All the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Bethlehem and be famous in Bethlehem. And may your house, listen to this, and may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman why is it dear did you ever in your life he's given the blessings of Perez what does Perez mean breakthrough now Ruth had been married before and she hadn't had any children to her first marriage and it tells us in verse 13 of chapter 4 so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and when he went into her the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son and then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, Ruth, who loves you, is better to you than seven sons. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. And also the neighbour woman gave him a name saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed, which means servant or worshipper. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Have you got it? <laughs> Ruth has been grafted into this line. A woman from Moab who was a pagan woman. God using the mistakes of Naomi and Elimelech who had made a, a, a bad choice in going down to, to Moab and yet God worked it around and God brought back beauty and joy and sweetness into Naomi's life. I want to tell you that God is this kind of God. This is the kind of God 
that we have. This is the kind of God who wants to take the bitter things in your life, the things that you have found so hard to swallow, the bitter pills that you have experienced. He wants to take them and he wants to turn them into sweetness and he wants to make you an even greater person than you'd ever imagine that you could be. He wants to give you fruitfulness. He wants to give you spiritual children. These women all had children. God wants to give you spiritual children. I believe that God this weekend is speaking to us about how he wants to do something deep that would change us. Ruth would never have been the same after this. But he wants to comfort us. Ruth had such comfort out of this wee baby. And from this baby called Obed would come a man called Jesse. And from Jesse would come David the shepherd boy who wrote, The Lord is my shepherd, would come David who would become King David. And from King David, you can read in Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy were through that family tree right down to Jesus. And Jesus came and was born in Bethlehem where this story, where this story takes place. Ladies, I just hardly know what to say except to say this, that God, I believe, wants to touch you, give you a breakthrough show you the boundaries that he wants to give you and he wants you to know that he will extend those as you trust him. That he'll do things you never imagined he would do. And I believe he wants you to know that he wants to bring beauty out of ashes. And later on tonight, I know uh, um, uh, Jill's going to come up and share something in a moment before we, before we finish and we're going to f finally sing, finish with a song um, It Is Well With My Soul that Glenda's going to play for us. But um, before I, uh, what was I going to say? Now I've forgotten what I was going to say. What? Oh yes, later on this evening, thank you Helen. Later on this evening at 7 o'clock, we're going to look at a woman called Bathsheba. Our first talk was about God giving breakthrough. Our second talk was about God giving boundaries. Our third talk just now is about God giving beauty. And our final talk with Bathsheba is all about a bad start. Every single one of us had a bad start because of the fall, because of sin. But it's about a bright start, sorry, a bad start, but God wants to give us a bright future. And that's what we want to speak over ourselves as we leave this weekend. And so I'm going to call up Jill now, who God gave her a wee word this morning, early this morning, and she's going to share that. Bless you. Um, I just love how God works in mysterious ways. <clears throat> yeah, I just love how he works in mysterious ways. And my mystery, how he worked with me was at three o'clock in the morning. I actually woke, I actually, I woke with pain in my hip, right hip, quite severe. And I got up and got my, I'm not going to advertise, but I put Tiger Balm on. Got my Tiger Balm and was rubbing it in. And as I was rubbing it in, I just felt the Lord starting to talk. And it was the middle of the night, so I didn't want to wake Tracy, put the light on, but I, I recorded it. I just got my phone out and just typed as what what I felt he was what I felt he was saying, and this is it. And um, I think it's for um, all of us probably, a lot of people here, um, myself included. He's saying, This time I am going deeper deeper than ever before to bring long-lasting healing. I'm going to pour in the oil of joy for mourning. I'm going to bring long-lasting healing and peace that will be forevermore. 
No longer will you struggle and have worries, but from this day forth you will have the spirit of joy instead of, of mourning. I am doing a deep thing. I am bringing beauty for ashes. This time I'm going to the root cause of your pain and I'm pulling it out. And at that point I had the picture that Maureen gave us last night of the midwife, um, the, the twins, and how one put its, its arm out and she tied the, the red cord round its wrist and then it went back in you know, and that struggle. And then the other, the other twin came out first but in that struggle, he's seen all our struggles and he's saying, I have it, I have you, it's gone. Your pain has gone, I've taken it away. I've removed it as far as the east is from the west. That's how far I'm removing your pain from you. And I thought, myself, Lord, that verse is about how you remove our sin. But no, it's, it's how far I'm taking your pain from you. And I have thrown it into the depths of the sea and depression is being removed, extracted and I am bringing my radiating light where there has been much darkness. I'm setting captives free. I am exchanging your pain that has been radiating around your body and I am giving you radiating joy that others will see like a flashing lighthouse the light in the midst of their darkness is going to draw them to Jesus also and they are going to be healed and set free. I have extracted your pain. It has been removed and never again will you be in misery. I have heard your cries, deep crying out to deep and I am well pleased with you, my beautiful daughter. His smile is on you. He is beside you and he is making all things new. He's restoring the years the locusts have eaten. And then there was a few randoms came in at the end there. I don't know if there's words here. I don't know if there are words for anybody or they mean anything to anybody, but there's names, there's a random selection of things here. And that maybe if I don't know what, I've never done this before. It ha this has ever actually happened in this way to me before. I don't know if any of these things mean anything to anybody, then God's, I think, speaking deeply. <laughs> There's a name, Sandra, or it could be Sandra White, or it could be the surname White, I'm not sure. There's Sandra, there's White, there's gold, diamond, jewellery, there's girls, <laughs> there's Francis, as in the boy's name. Uh, and the needy, there's the needy. There's something about being out of stock. <laughs> I don't know what that's about. There is the name Paul Smith, or Paul Smith, or Paul and Smith. And God's going to do, God is doing a mighty thing. I've got Saturday night here and also tomorrow morning. But I want to tell you something else very peculiar. And this is God. What happened this morning as we were getting dressed, Tracy and I, and Tracy puts on the radio in the room, Radio Ulster. <laughs> so anybody in our corridor might have heard Radio Ulster. And um, well, I, have, oh, I need to open this again to read it to you. And I thought, she's putting on the radio for it. And uh, lo and behold, as I was listening, it was uh, the song, and I thought it was an oldie, so I'm so out of date. But I know it is in one way, but I think it's been re released possibly. Is it Take That and Lulu? 
No, was it not Ray Lewis? Lewis, you're, you're, you're looking as if you know. I don't know. I don't know what has been or not. Uh, anyway, relight my fire, and I'm not going to sing because I don't do sing. But the words were, relight my fire, relight my fire. Your love is my only desire, cause I need your love. You gotta have hope in your soul. I think God's just saying, I want to relight your fire. I want to give you that hope in your soul. And then there's another line and that says, I have hope in my soul to keep walking, to keep going, keep walking. Thank you. I think that was very timely. Thank you, Jill. Okay, well, we're going to have prayer ministry between two and three or maybe a bit after three. Anyone who has booked in prayer ministry, if you uh, go... You know when we go through those doors as if we're going to eat? There's a set of stairs ahead of you. If you walk up the stairs at 2 o'clock or whatever time your appointment's for, we'll see up there those doors. We'll have the names of whoever's praying for you. Will be in this. I think it's two different rooms we'll be in, and we'll be up there. If you feel that God has been stirring something, I really encourage you to go and get a wee bit of prayer ministry. And uh, it's not that we can do anything magical, but it's something about bringing stuff into the open and getting prayer that sometimes just nudges us along on our journey that God's bringing. And sometimes we get that breakthrough just straight away. So God, I believe, wants to do miracles this weekend. We've all been praying for miracles. We're believing for miracles. So we're available. There's a number who are ready to pray with you.